from ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. More turbulence for Boeing. Today, the company's CEO buckled up on Capitol Hill to defend his company's troubled 737 MAX 9, just weeks after a near disaster on an Alaska Airlines flight. And good evening. I'm Josh Einiger. We'll have a lot more on Boeing's woes in a moment. But first, we're following breaking news in New Jersey. Right now, a massive fire is consuming a mattress warehouse in North Brunswick. Eyewitness News reporter Jim Dolan is on the scene. He's live with the latest. Jim. Yeah, Josh, and it's a long way from over. In fact, firefighters right now are worried that this fire could spread. They have evacuated uh, families from their homes around the perimeter of this massive warehouse, and they have their hands full inside. It's not just mattresses, but there's also construction material like piles of wood inside and propane tanks scattered around. So you can imagine the job firefighters have. Let's take a look right over here. You can see they are putting uh, water on this fire from every possible angle, but they haven't had much success and they don't expect to have much success tonight. They expect to be here through the night into the morning hours trying to put this now six alarm fire under control so far at least. They've been unable to do that. Uh, we received a call with just a, a reported fire in a building. Uh -huh. uh, our patrol units arrived. They immediately evacuated that building, surrounding buildings. Uh, the fire department arrived, went to work, but the fire load at that point was, was intense. Uh, the whole rear of the building was engulfed in fire. Uh, so just the one building or is it spread out? We don't know yet. The, the one building in the rear it still has heavy fire throughout it. We're still trying to gauge whether to jump to a second building or not. The fire department's still working on that now. Now that building in the rear is causing the most trouble for firefighters. That's where the material is most densely packed. Firefighters say they know exactly what's in there, but they don't know where it is inside the warehouse and still having trouble trying to get this thing under control. They got here around 3.30 this afternoon. They expect to be here through the night, so far at least no injuries. Reporting live from North Brunswick, Jim Dolan, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Jim, thank you. And now to the latest on Boeing's bumpy ride. The CEO of the aerospace Titan attempted damage control on Capitol Hill today, meeting with lawmakers as safety concerns soar. This after Alaska Airlines reported finding many loose bolts in its the rest of its 737 MAX 9 fleet. It was a brand new MAX 9 that Alaska experienced a near catastrophe on a flight from Portland, Oregon to Ontario, California when a door plug blew out as the plane climbed to its cruise altitude. With all MAX 9s now grounded, today was the Boeing CEO's first trip to the hill since the incident. ABC's M. Wynn is live in Washington with how it all went. M. Hey, Josh. Yeah, a string of recent troubling incidents involving planes made by Boeing has raised more safety concerns on Capitol Hill. Sources say it was Boeing that asked lawmakers to meet this week. Amid growing scrutiny, Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun faced questions from U.S. Senators in the wake of the Alaska Airlines mid-air door plug blowout on a 737 MAX 9. Constructive, shared everything I could. Alaska Republican Senator Dan Sullivan taking part in the discussions, calling them frank. He said his main concerns were safety and how hundreds of MAX 9s remain grounded as Boeing pauses manufacturing to focus on quality control. No other state whose constituents are being more impacted by this than mine. You do not want to be legislating on aviation safety after some big 
disaster or crash. Calhoun didn't answer reporters when asked about a Seattle Times report that suggested the door plug was taken out for repair at Boeing and incorrectly reinstalled. If that were the case, Boeing would be primarily at fault rather than the supplier in Kansas. We don't put airplanes in the air that we don't have 100% confidence in. Just days ago, video captured sparks shooting from the engine of a Boeing 747 cargo plane over Miami. And in Atlanta, a Delta Boeing 757 lost a nose wheel as it prepared to take off. This after Alaska Airlines CEO Ben Minicucci told NBC News he's frustrated and angry after inspectors found loose bolts on many of Alaska's Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets. Boeing is better than this. United Airlines also finding loose bolts, saying it's now rethinking its commitment to future Boeing orders. Met with Senator Maria Cantwell, who chairs the Commerce Committee. She's been demanding answers from the FAA on oversight and plans to hold a hearing soon on the issue. Josh. And then we know Calhoun's going to be back on the Hill tomorrow. What is he hoping to accomplish in Washington this week? Yeah, great question. We know that Calhoun will be meeting with Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. He's the ranking member on the Commerce um, and Transportation Committee. So we understand from today, Calhoun apparently was the one who tried to request and actually set up these meetings personally between him and these lawmakers on Capitol Hill. He said today it was all for the sake of transparency. So it seems clear that as of right now, Boeing is really trying to do that damage control, really trying to rebuild the trust between them and regulators, and of course, customers. Josh. It's really tough because of all the problems with the MAX 8 a couple of years ago. Now we have the MAX 9, and they really need all the help they can get. The 737, of course, perhaps the most popular uh, commercial airplane ever uh, manufactured. There are so many of them around the world, and they need people to trust to the brand. ABC's M. Wynn reporting in Washington tonight. Thanks, M. Thanks, Josh. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time on this Wednesday night, Donald Trump takes New Hampshire, but Nikki Haley is promising to fight on. What we learned from the New Hampshire primary and what's next in the race for the White House. And it's time now for a look at the exclusive AccuWeather forecast and Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg. Lee, it's very dreary outside. <laughs> it really is. I don't know about you. I would take sun and 35 yeah. over this stretch that we've had, even though it's going to get mild. The, the upside is you're going to be more comfortable over the next couple of days, especially tomorrow as we get into the 50s. But it is dreary. Make sure you have your umbrella and raincoat is going to be raining much of the time. You know, as we've gone through our shows this afternoon, the dense fog advisory has expanded because of the low visibility. So this is going to be an issue right through Friday morning until we can get a front to go through. But look, we're down to a tenth of a mile at Islip, half a mile at Sussex. So check your air carriers if you're traveling by air. If you just, you know, allow extra time even for your drive in, you're going to run into areas of low visibility. Here's a look at Gotham right here. Uh, Brooklyn Bridge is lit up right here, but we have a ceiling that's about eight, 900 feet right now. It's been going up and down. We're at 45 degrees, a light breeze out of the southeast. We've only had about two hundredths of an inch of rainfall, and we're nearing four inches for the month, and we could actually push this closer to five inches for the month when this is all said and done by Friday morning. The good news is the amount of rain is happening over a long period of time. So I'm not expecting flash flooding, but when you're talking about some ponding or puddles on area roadways, low visibilities, not pleasant to travel out there. 
through Friday morning and then we'll shut off the rain for a couple of days. It is mild. We'll be in the 50s tomorrow, but there is a temperature adjustment if you're just tuning in to Friday's forecast. We were hoping to bust into the mild air and maybe get close to 60, but I think a front is going to suppress that warm air to the south. Maybe southern New Jersey gets into the mid and upper 50s. I think we're struggling to 50 for much of the day that day. But 50 with more sun on Saturday will actually feel nice before the second half of the weekend turns stormy. That actual storm track is looking a little colder, so a cold rain could actually end as a mix or snow Sunday night into Monday morning with some accumulations, especially north and west. We're in the 30s and mid 40s right now. That warm air is trying to surge up the east coast. But like I said, we have a couple of fronts that are snaking across the northeast and at times it's going to allow some of that warm air in here. But overall, I think the chilly air is still going to win out. So we've got that steadier rain moving into the Poconos and Catskills right now. Definitely steadier from the city on northward, north shore of the island as well. Still a little bit of patchy icing over parts of northern Sullivan and Dutchess, but steady rain from Sussex County and Orange, Westchester and Rockland County into Bergen and southeastern Passaic as well. But look at all this steady rain off to the west. I mean, we're just in line to see waves of rain come in. For tonight, the rain is steadier north. Hopefully we can get a little timing where the rain intensity is lighter for the morning commute, but it's still dreary. And then more waves of rain throughout the day tomorrow into Friday morning. Then look, as we dry out on Friday, there is a push of milder air, but it really gets into southern New Jersey. Maybe it's a late day bloomer here where we get close to 50 with a nice sunset, but it's going to take all day to get there. Now, Saturday is near 50 sunshine, but then clouds will dominate in the late day and at night. And here comes our coastal system, which should start out as a cold rain. But look at the mix in the Catskills and Poconos, and we could all change over to a mix of snow by Monday morning. It turns wintry again. 43 tonight and rising rain getting steadier areas of dense fog for tomorrow. 53, but it's rainy and mild and foggy tomorrow night. More of the same rain, drizzle and fog on your seven day. We'll dry it out on Friday, but temperatures will be slow to recover. Maybe some late day breaks. Saturday is your sunny or mild day at 50. Here comes a cold rain, which could mix with some snow later in the day and at night, especially north and west. Maybe some accumulation there winter for a couple of days early next week and then some moderation by midweek. That's the way it's shaping up. That updates on ABC 7 and Y and I'll see you on Channel 7 at 11. Josh. All right, Lee. Thanks. We'll see you then. Mm -hmm. And now to the latest in the race for the White House. And the last time Republicans held an open primary, there were still 12 candidates coming out of New Hampshire. Well, going into that state's primary last night, there were just two, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And by the end of the night, former President Donald Trump had decisively won the Granite State. So with victories in New Hampshire and Iowa now under his belt at the moment, it looks likely he'll win the nomination and head to a rematch with President Biden in the general election. But then there's Nikki Haley. Last night, she vowed to keep fighting to win the next primary one month from today in her home state of South Carolina. But there's a problem for her there. Trump has already won endorsements of both senators and the congressional delegation. Joining us now to try to unpack all this is Professor Alan Sanders. He's Professor Emeritus of Political Science at St. Peter's University in Jersey City. Professor, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Josh. What is Nikki Haley doing? Uh, you know, she's going home to her home state where she was governor. She has no support of the politicians, some of whom she has supported along the way. And the polls show Trump up 40 points. Does she really want to go home and lose her home state? 
Probably not, but she thinks she has a shot. That is to say, you know, the primary in South Carolina is a month away. Uh, so she thinks that she can be uh, there and gain support. She believes she's been underestimated. Her super PAC says that it's behind her and is continuing to raise money. Uh, but you're right. All the polls indicate that she is the underdog and the political establishment, the Republican political establishment of South Carolina has basically said, forget it. Uh, but we'll wait and see. Also remember that people used to say the same thing back in 2020 when Joe Biden lost Iowa and lost New Hampshire. But then he came back in South Carolina, and we all know the story after that. He ultimately won the presidency. So she's hoping for something like that. Uh, but right now, uh, as you pointed out, it doesn't look so well, so good uh, for Nikki Haley. Uh, of course, the Republican electorate is is is. I don't even know how to put it. It's a strange time in Republican politics right now, right? Because there's so many people are enthralled to Donald Trump. Haley has all this time been afraid to attack him uh, as she is in the last just few days, calling him senile and saying he's too old and he's out of touch. This sort of total shift that she's that she's making, it seems like the to 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 fight against Trump, you really have to thread the needle. And it doesn't seem like this is how to do it. Well, it's a very difficult thing to do because, of course, Trump's MAGA supporters are cemented to him. Uh, you know, the most committed voters are the ones who come out in primaries, and MAGA voters are extraordinarily committed to Donald Trump. So you do have to thread the needle, and it may be an impossible task. So all of the Republican candidates, except for Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson, have tried to say, well, they would be different than Trump, but not so different. And uh, it's an attempt to swoo and sway uh, MAGA voters away from Trump. But so far, it hasn't work because they're really committed to Donald Trump. I know there's a there's a thinking out there that Haley intends to stick it out because when and if he is convicted on one of the four uh, char, you know, trials that he's going to be facing at some point in the future, uh, someone has to be there to take all the delegates and win the nomination and then go on into the general. So even if she doesn't win in South Carolina or the future states after that, that her donors might stick it out and help her stay in the race. Is that at all realistic for her? Is that perhaps her kind of only hope? Well, I don't know if it's realistic, but it's certainly a possibility that many people have uh, talked about. Uh, it's clear from the New Hampshire results that although Donald Trump won that primary overwhelmingly, Iowa as well, but certainly in New Hampshire, uh, Nikki Haley showed that she does have support from disaffected Republicans and from a significant chunk of independent voters as well. So. Um, She's maybe hoping that if Trump gets into real trouble uh, with his uh, criminal cases, that she might emerge as uh, the winner, ultimately, in the Republican nomination contest at the convention. Uh, but the other aspect of this is that if Donald Trump does win, which is what the expectations are right now, uh, it, there are some real red flags for him because the um, results of New Hampshire and Nikki Haley's uh, successful uh, attempt to uh, get uh, independence and and some Republicans indicates that Trump could be running into trouble. Remember, it's going to be a very close election. So if you lose any slice of your support uh, from your coalition, that could spell trouble for um, the campaigns, right. uh, of course, for Biden and, and, and uh, Trump. But we now know about Trump's uh, problems emanating from New Hampshire. Of course, Trump and Biden have indicated they're already you know, in the general. They, they've decided that the primary is over for all intents and purposes. Has this has that ever happened this early in the process? It seems incredibly early for both sides to be locked into a general election. What, what does it look like if it takes, you know, the better part of the year? 
Well, it's incredibly early, but remember, if you're the winner of primaries, even if you still face opposition uh, in past election cycles, the winners have always tried to uh, turn uh, the uh, discussion around to the general election to try to ignore their challengers. So it's certainly early now because um, uh, there really is only one challenger in the Republican side of uh, the ledger. Uh, but, you know, general elections start earlier and earlier. This is one of those uh, examples again. And so I think uh, the uh, message from both candidates Camps, from the Trump camp and from the Biden camp are going to have to be pretty creative because we've got months to go before the November election. And so you have to keep the attention of voters. And that's difficult uh, if the uh, nominations have basically been sewn up uh, this early. So we'll have to wait and see what the creativity is on both sides of, um, of the uh, party race. Strange, strange world these days. Dr. Alan Sanders, Professor uh, Emeritus at St. Joseph's, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, St. Peter's, I should say, in Jersey City. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. My pleasure, Josh. And stay with Eyewitness News for continuing coverage of the race for the White House. You can see updates and information around the clock right here on ABC7 New York. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, Mayor Adams is taking drastic action to address teen mental health issues and the impact social media can have on young people. Mayor Eric Adams has seen his entire agenda derailed by the migrant crisis, but as he starts his third year in office, today Adams projected optimism for 2024 and promised a heavy focus on driving down crime and building up affordable housing. In his first two years in office, of course, the post-pandemic 110th mayor of the nation's biggest city found himself dealing with a migrant crisis no one could have imagined when he was elected as the city was still reeling from the pandemic. But today, Adams took credit for a decline in crime and an economic recovery he admits isn't yet where it should be. He's also pushing, as I said, for building more affordable housing on city-owned land. And as Eyewitness News reporter N.J. Burkett reports, the state of the city depends on whom you ask. Please stand up. Let's hear it for Team New York. It may have been the most upbeat speech of his political career. In his third State of the City address, Mayor Adams declared that New York is back, in his words, from the brink. The state of our city is strong. Far stronger than it was two years ago. I want to thank every hardworking New Yorker out there for help bring our city back from the brink. The mayor claimed credit for everything from a citywide reduction in crime to a surge in jobs that has surpassed pre-pandemic levels and even insisted he's winning the war on rats. We're seeing major reduction in rat complaints across citywide. That's right. The rats hate us. They're moving on and moving out. Adams announced initiatives to create a million jobs within two years and half a million new units of affordable housing in 10 years. He urged Washington to ease work restrictions on migrants pouring into the city and took aim at social media companies, declaring them a public health crisis. Just as the Surgeon General did with tobacco and guns, we're treating social media like other public health hazards and it must stop. 
And the mayor announced a crackdown on e-bikes and other quality of life issues. We cannot have mopeds speeding down our sidewalks and forcing people to jump out of the way. Council Majority Leader Keith Powers. Illegal cannabis shops, e-bike fires, talking about deliveries. Those are some quality of life issues I hear about every day in my district. And of course, always housing and making sure there's enough housing. Catherine Wild runs the city's most influential business group. I thought the speech was terrific and the mayor was focused on public safety, on our economy staying strong, and on the livability of the city. And those are the three big issues for New York business and for New Yorkers in general. The mayor also claimed credit for turning around a tide of pessimism that's gripped the city since the pandemic. That, unlike crime statistics, may be more difficult to measure. In the Bronx, NJ Burke at Channel 7, Eyewitness News. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time on this Wednesday night, Boeing's CEO is on the hot seat on Capitol Hill. We'll take a deeper dive into the company's safety issues when we come back. I want to return now here on Extra Time to Boeing's ongoing and worsening safety issues now under scrutiny. Joining us now with more on this is Captain Ross Amer. Captain Amer is a former captain on United Airlines who's type rated on pretty much every type of commercial airplane you've ever flown and then some, including the 737. Captain, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Josh. So guys like you used to have a saying at least, uh, if it ain't Boeing, I'm not going. Uh, your reaction seeing Boeing's trouble specifically with the MAX, first the MAX 8 and now the MAX 9 with this door plug issue, what's your reaction to that? It's really embarrassing and sad. Um, in a nutshell, Boeing CEO is an accountant, Airbus CEO and aeronautical engineer. That ought to tell you a lot. Unfortunately, Boeing, the greatest manufacturer of aircraft in the world, uh, I'm, I'm proud to have flown every one of those Boeings. They just turned their direction the wrong way. Instead of engineering quality product, they care all about the money nowadays. Right. So, so uh, the FAA just announced really in the last 10 minutes that they intend in the next few days to allow the MAX 9 back in the air, uh, provided that airlines do whatever they have to do to make it safe. And they say part of the remediation is that they're going to force Boeing to hold back on any expansion of its product line so that they can focus on quality control. Do you believe the FAA is able to properly regulate that? Well, that's another problem. FAA has been pretty lax in the past few years and uh, symbiotic relationship with Boeing uh, now they find themselves in, in a hot water as well. So I'm hoping that FAA would put enough pressure uh, on Boeing to do their job right. But uh, I, I, I'm afraid uh, the entire Boeing upper management has to be replaced for right. us and the public to have confidence in, in Boeing once again. A question for you about the, the MAX 9 is just a new version of the 737-900, which has been flying around for like 10 or 15 years and has the same exact door plugs. Delta has 163 of them. United has 148 of them. And now they're inspecting those planes, too. Do you worry about what they'll find? And if they find them, what happens to all those if all those planes are out of service? Well, my understanding is uh, that the reason they brought in the 900 family, which is not a max, it, it was exactly because 
uh, I believe my old company, United Airlines, they, while they were inspecting some of their 900s, they found some discrepancies, i.e. Right. missing bolts. Uh, the bolts were, that were not tightened uh, precisely. So that's why they brought the nines in, the 900s in. And this is going to affect a lot of airlines and affect the travel in, in U.S. and around the world. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult situation, of course, and we're going to have to keep monitoring it, but leave it there for now. Captain Ross Amer, thank you so much for joining us. We're glad we got you on tonight. My pleasure, Josh. And uh, thank you. And have a, good, have a good night. And that wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Coming up on Eyewitness News after Monday Night Football, the very latest on that massive fire in North Brunswick, New Jersey, with Jim Dolan, who's on the scene there. For now, have a good night.